Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you know the story of, of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And when she is pregnant with twins, there is a striving, there is a war. There's a struggle in her womb. And when the boys are born, Esau is born first. And Jacob is born holding on, clutching his heel. And all throughout his life, Jacob is holding on. He's, he's always grabbing. He's always manipulating. He's always scheming. Because his name means one who supplants. One who undermines. So his whole life he has undermined and tricked and schemed because he wants his way. He wants to overcome, to overpower his brother. So much so that Esau, who is rugged and outdoorsy, is killing in the field while Jacob is at home tied to his mother's apron string. Esau comes in hungry, and Jacob, who knows how to prepare a meal, cooks a soup for him, and Esau sells his birthright for some bean soup. I can understand if it was chicken noodle from, or gumbo or something like that, but it's, it's bean lentil soup, and he sells his birthright to his brother. But that's not the only trick that Jacob pulls on Esau. Their father, Isaac, is old and full of years, and he's getting ready to die. And it is of the father to give the blessing to the oldest boy. Esau has been sent to kill venison because Isaac wants a last meal. Esau is out killing venison and Rebecca knows that Isaac is about to die and she schemes along with Jacob to steal. He's already taken his birthright. Now he steals his father's blessing. He says, put on an animal skin so that you will feel like Esau. You will smell like Esau. He goes into his dying father with a meal that he has prepared 
and Isaac, whose sight is leaving him, touches him and says, you feel like Esau. You smell like Esau. Isaac believes that something is wrong, but he cannot see. He's about to die. So he gives Jacob the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. Esau returns and realizes that Jacob has tricked him again. His mother has a brother named Laban. So she sends Jacob away from the wrath of Esau and he flees to his uncle Laban. They go their separate ways. Esau marries and has children. They, uh, Jacob is now at his uncle's house and he sees the most beautiful woman he's ever laid eyes on since Sarah. And now he loves this woman. This woman, Rachel, who is his uncle's daughter. But his uncle is just as shrewd as Jacob is. It runs in the family. He's just as much a schemer and a trickster as him. And on the wedding night, Jacob is beside himself drunk. And his uncle sends the older girl, Leah, in on the wedding night. And he wakes up, and he's married to Leah. Leah is hard on the eyes. She, she is not attractive at all. She's not beautiful at all. But, but he loves Rachel so much that he works seven more years for Rachel's hand. He marries Rachel. But... But God opens Leah's womb and closes Rachel's womb. I wish I had a Bible reader. And the scripture says that Laban and Jacob have gotten into it. And Jacob is running away now from his uncle that he ran to. And he steals his uncle's possessions and leaves. And when Laban finds out what Jacob has done, he says, may the Lord watch between me and thee. While we are absent, one from another. The translation, if I ever see you again. Somebody ought to help me preach here. And now Jacob is fleeing from his uncle Laban. And he's about to run into his brother Esau. He tricked and schemed Esau and ran from him. He schemed and tricked Laban and ran from him and now he's between a rock and a hard place. And that's what I want to preach about this morning. This is the second spiritual encounter of Jacob's life. The first spiritual encounter of Jacob's life is in Genesis at chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, when he sees this ladder and these angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And God is at the top of that ladder. And it is there that God blesses Jacob. And Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he named the place Bethel, the house of God. At Bethel, Jacob saw a ladder 
At Jabbok, he saw the Lord. At Bethel, he became a believer. At Jabbok, God broke him. At Bethel, he became a son. At Jabbok, he became a saint. At Bethel, he died to sin. At Jabbok, he died to himself. He left Bethel with a spring in his step, but he leaves Jabbok with a limp for the rest of his life. And brothers and sisters, like Jacob, every one of us in Lily Grove this morning, every one of you listening to me online this morning needs both a Bethel and a Jabbok experience. Everybody ought to go to Bethel for salvation, but you ought to go to Jabbok to be broken. Like Jacob, every one of us needs both Bethel and Jabbok because we need to know that God has saved us and we also need to know that he has broken us to make us useful in his service. Because it is not until God has broken you that God can use you. We must go to Bethel for pardon. But we've got to go to Jabbok for power. If you are post-Bethel and pre-Jabbok, this word from the Lord is for you this morning. Now before I move into the text, brothers and sisters, I want you to look with me in verse number 24 again. In verse number 24, the scripture says, in the eighth part of that verse, Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. When was the last time you were alone? See how quiet you got right there? I, I do not speak of loneliness. I mean, when was the last time you were by yourself with no distractions. This is a culture that breeds distraction. TikTok. Facebook. Instagram. Google. Apple watches, iPhones, direct messaging, instant messaging, WhatsApp, iTunes, app stores, FaceTime, podcasts, Pandora, Netflix, Kindle books, Zoom meetings, conference calls, Amazon shopping, work from home, hair appointments, manicure appointments, pedicure appointments, Apple AirPods, Apple Beats, Bluetooth, YouTube, digital this, digital that, 
all in an effort to cancel the noise of silence. Mm, brothers and sisters, the problem does not lie in being busy. The question is, what are you busy being? The problem is not being busy. What are you busy being? The devil wants you to structure your time as full as possible so that you are so preoccupied that there is no face time with the one in whose face you ought to spend some time. There will be no room in your life for the blessings of God until you declutter your heart with the world's distractions. Not only do you need to declutter your closet and declutter your room, declutter your mind, declutter your heart, Declutter your spirit. Get rid of some stuff that has no business in your life. And get rid of some people who have no business in your life. Listen to me, beloved. We love and we often quote Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans... I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a beautiful word. But read on to verses 12 and 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. James says a double-minded man. I wish I had two or three more Bible readers. Is unstable in all his ways. You got too many things going on. You got something in your ear. You got something on your arm. You got something that's happening on television. You got something you're doing on your computer. You got something you're doing on your iPad. And then somebody's talking to you in the background. And then the house is full of people. Then you got to go eat with this one. And you got to go shop with that one. And you got to walk with this one. And you talk with... Stop it for a minute. Sit down and ask God, what do you want my life to look like? Where do you want me to go in my vision for my future? Walk with me, Lord. While I'm on this tedious journey, I wish I had somebody to help me. I want Jesus, not these false friends. I want Jesus to walk with me. You walk with my mother. Walk with me. Have I got a witness here? Brothers and sisters, unless, unless you get away and be alone, until you fall in love with you, 
until you know that God made you, you. There will never be another you on this planet. You are the best you that you will ever find. Be all that God wants you to be. And when you are satisfied with you, you don't need me. You, you don't need anybody to affirm you. You don't need any likes on Facebook. Learn how to like yourself. Talk back to me if you can. Learn how to be thankful for what you have. You don't have to have what somebody else has. Be satisfied with how God has blessed you. And if you thank God for what he's done in your life, the more you praise him, the more blessings he'll send your way. Somebody's in here this morning who got some stuff that you never should have had, but you were grateful for just a little bit. Yeah. He's there alone. And in that darkness, in that hour where he's alone, the Bible says he wrestles with a man. The, 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 the word in the, in the Hebrew is that the wrestling match it's going so strong. It literally means they're kicking up dust. It's a fight to the finish. It's not a little squabble. It's not a little, uh, uh, you know, time limit on it. It's a strong wrestling match. It's a fight to the finish. And, 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 and listen, the angel, the man attacks Jacob. Jacob doesn't initiate the fight. He is, he is jumped on by this heavenly stranger. He is antagonized by this heavenly stranger who just pounces on him and they wrestle until daybreak. I, I want you to hear this. The wrestling match happens because God has to break us. That's, that's, that's the dirty side of Christianity. We, we, we want the name it and claim it side. We want the blessing side. We want the sunshine. We want the blue skies. But there's a dirty side to being a Christian. Because if you're going to have the faith that God wants you to have, you've got to struggle. You've got to wrestle. You've got to go through it. Just you and God. And listen, brothers and sisters, God, in the wrestling match, breaks him. They're kicking up dust. I mean, it's a hard fight to the finish. And the scripture says that it, it looks like from the inference of the text that Jacob is getting the upper hand. But Jacob is not winning. God lets him win so he can lose. 
Because God wants to break something in him without breaking him. Because everybody in here, God wants to break something in you, but he's not trying to break you. Let me see if I can get that over to you. Um, when, when Victoria was a small child, she and I would, would wrestle because um, she, she always wanted to best me and, and jump on me and wrestle me. And I would be acting like uh, I was uh, on the WWF. Uh, I, was, I was the spoiler. Uh, and, and I would body slam her on the bed. She loved that because she would bounce on the bed and body slam. And then she'd get off the bed and jump on me and put me in a figure four leg lock. Now her legs could hardly come up to where she needed to put me in a figure four. But I pretended that she had me in a figure four. And, and, and then I, I would count, and then I would say, you won, ouch, get off me, ouch. I let her win. Because I was trying to build strength and character and let her know what winning felt like. I surrendered, but she conceded. You still didn't get it. God did not lose the match. God did not surrender. Jacob conceded. Because here's what happened. When God got enough of Jacob being Jacob, he stopped the match in its tracks. He touched him in his hip and stopped the match from going on. Now, now Jacob is wrestling with a theophany, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Christ is wrestling with Jacob because the problem is not Esau. The problem is not Laban. The problem is Jacob. And God got to break Jacob so Jacob can see Jacob. And God has got to break you and I so you and I can see who we really are in the presence of the living God. We are nothing but crooks, tricksters, underminers, sinners, and if God is going to save us, he got to break us. Some of you can't shout this morning because you ain't been broken yet. I'm going I'm I'm to get to that limp in a minute. But when God breaks you, he puts something in your face. He puts something in your hallelujah. He puts something in the smile that you wear. God puts something on you that you put on when you come to church to let folk know I've been with Jesus. Uh, he, he breaks him. He touches him in a hip socket. And he wants him to know who he is. And then Jacob 
says, I can't let you go. The angel says, turn me loose. Let me go for the day is breaking. Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. My brothers and sisters here, the same man who touched him in his hip to stop the wrestling match could have touched him in his other hip to make him let him go. Somebody ought to help me preach it. He had the power to stop him just like he stopped the wrestling match. He could have stopped him from holding on to him. But that's what he wants him to do. Because he's been holding on to his pride. He's been holding on to his tricks. He's been holding on to being so astute and street smart that God says, let that go and I want you to hold on to me now. He says, I won't let you go till you bless me. That's really a prayer. I want you to bless me. And listen, it, it's, 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 here is the picture. When Jesus was walking on the water in the New Testament, one of the gospel writers says, and he would have passed them by, but somebody cried out. Wish I had a witness. And then when he was with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he talked to him about himself. The Bible says he pretended that he was going to keep on walking. But they said, abide with us. Here's what I'm trying to get over to you. When Jacob says, I will not let you go. And the angel said, you have to let me go because the day is breaking. And, and Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. God will leave unless you ask him to stay. God will walk out of your life. God will walk away from your problem unless you ask him to stay. God would have walked away from Jacob. But Jacob said, even with my hip out of socket, even broken, I'm going to hold on to you. Because you got what I need. I need somebody to help me preach it. And I, I, I need somebody this morning like myself who has been to the end of yourself where you had to come to God in earnest, desperate prayer and say, God, I know I've done wrong. God, I know I don't deserve it. God, I know I'm not worthy of it, but I can't let you go till you bless me. If, if you haven't been that desperate, Good for you. But some of us have been just that desperate. To know that if God don't come through, I'm through. If God does not come to my rescue, if God does not open a door, if God does not dry my tears, if God does not answer my prayers, if God does not come to see about my problem, 
If God does not make a way, I don't know what I'm going to do. You have got to come to the place when you are at the end of your resources, then you fall back on the one who has all the resources. Uh, brothers and sisters, there's too many proud people come to church. There's too many high-stepping people come to church. I need some broken people in here this morning. I need some folk in here this morning that life has dealt you a bad hand. There have been some days when you didn't even feel like getting out of the bed. But then God just showed up right in the nick of time and made a way when it looked like there was no way. You still broken. You still got your problems. You still got some stuff going on. But there's a joy that you have that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. No set of problems, no set of circumstances, no betrayal, no lie, no scheme, no weapon formed against me. Shall be able to prosper. He said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He says, what's your name? He says, my name is, is Jacob. My name is Liar. My name is Trickster. My name is Crackhead. My name is Alcoholic. My name is Homosexual. My name is Whoremonger. My name is procrastinator. My name is one who's always fooling people to think I'm more than I really am. My name is gossip. My name is laziness. My name is gluttony. My name is foolishness. My name brings up my history, my character, and my background. But he says, that's not your name no more. If any man be in Christ, have I got a witness? He's a new creation. All things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. You might still have the same name, but you ain't got the same character. Because brothers and sisters, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is about what I've done. Shame is about what I am. And he came to take away my shame. I still do what I have no business doing. I wish I had somebody who was just as guilty as I am. Because Paul said every time. I desire to do good. I need a Bible reader here. Evil is always present. The good that I would do, I find myself not doing, and the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Oh, wretched man, not that I was, but that I still am. Who can deliver me from this body of the thanks be to God 
who gives us the victory. I'm through. But after he breaks us, after he blesses us, he brands us. He said, I won't let you go till you bless me. He blesses him and says, you're no longer Jacob, but your name is Israel. Because you have wrestled with God and with man and you have prevailed. You win. Not because God surrenders, but because you concede. And when, 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 he, when he breaks Jacob of the cycle of Jacob, the wrestling match is over. Because what the match was about in the first place was to break Jacob from Jacob. And when he broke him from being Jacob, Jacob surrendered to the name Israel. Because whatever God names you, you got to live up to it. Then God brands him with a limp. And for the rest of his life, he limps. And everybody in Lily Grove this morning got a limp. Your limp is not my limp. Your pain is not my pain. Your struggle is not my struggle. But you got a limp. There's something that God broke in your life that has marked and branded you for the rest of your life so that now whenever we look at you, we know that it was nobody but the Lord. Oh, yes. I see you. I see you. You think your limp is who you are. Your pain is not who you are. Your pain is the insignia that God had his hands on you. Your pain means that God has a special brand on you that once that place has been broken, it'll never be broken in the same place again. Because God has given you the strength in your broken places. You still got the limp. You still got the pain. But there's something that overrides that pain that makes you get up on Sunday morning and put some clothes on and make your way to the house of God with your limp, with your trouble, with your tears, with your heartbreak, with your setback, with your frustrations, with your doubts, with your fears, but you still come to this place every week because you want to hear me say the same thing I said last week. He died. Didn't he die? But early Sunday morning, he got up from the grave. I've been saying that for 32 years. And you've been coming back here every week to hear me say the same thing over and over. He died. Because that's something that happened when he died that gave you brand new life. That's something that happened on the cross that transformed you from the old man 
to the new man that you are right now. That's something that happened when Jesus died that transferred his blood into your heart. And then down at the cross where my Savior died, down where from cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. I'm singing glory to his name. Come to the fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Singing glory to his name. I need somebody here right now who still got a limp, but you still got joy. You still have your pain, but you still got joy. You still have your problems, but you still have joy. You still have a multitude of things going wrong, but you still love the Lord because he heard your cry, pitied every groan. Is there anybody here still limping this morning, but you're still praising God? Still limping this morning, but you're still raising your hand. Still limping this morning, but you're still saying thank you. Still limping this morning, but you're glad to be in the service just one more time. Still limping this morning, but God paid your bills for you. Still limping this morning, but God put a new song in your mouth. Still limping this morning, but the cancer is out of your body. Still limping this morning, but God got your child off drugs. Still limping this morning, but God is still making a way for you. If the Lord opened doors for you, come on, help me praise his name. If the Lord has answered your prayers, and you're not ashamed to testify. Tell him thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you. I still got a limp, but you've been good to me. I'm still broken in some places, but you're still good to me. I'm still hurting in some places, but you're still good to me. I'm still crying sometimes, but you're still good to me. I'm still hurt sometimes, but you're still good to me. I know I'm not Thomas Davis this morning, but I know he's all right. I know he's all right. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he pick you up? Come on, shout a minute. Won't he turn you around? Come on, tell him thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I need somebody who still got a limp this morning. I need somebody. Your heart is still broken. You still got a problem. You still got a heartbreak. But you still got joy. You still got peace. 
you're still giving God the glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't mind if I talk about him, do you? You don't mind if I call his name, do you? He's a rock in a weary land. He's a shelter in a time of storm. He's a friend when you're friendless. Bread when you're hungry. Water when you're thirsty. Y'all know him, don't you? He's Adam's redeemer. Abel's vindicator. Abraham's sacrifice. Y'all know him, don't you? Born in Bethlehem. Reared in Nazareth. Died one Friday. Got up one Sunday morning. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Do you know him? Why don't you look at somebody? You don't have to put your hands on him. Just look at somebody. Tell him I'm still limping. But I'm still shouting. I'm still limping. But I'm still rejoicing. I'm still limping. But I'm still shouting hallelujah. Hey, won't he do it? Won't he fix it? Won't he fix it? I know he's all right. Uh, I know he's all right. He walks with me. He talks with me. I know he's all right. since I preached in this spot God's been good to me raised me off my sick bed brought me to this sanctuary to tell somebody this morning can't nobody do me like Jesus can't nobody do me like the Lord have you tried him I said have you tried him tell him thank you thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know he's all right. Before our brothers come, before, before I open the doors of the church, Dr. Charlie Dates, one of the greatest young preachers in this country, pastored the Progressive Church in Chicago, called now to the Salem Church in Chicago, 
And Charlie said when he first went to Progressive, his pastor and the older preachers in Chicago told him, don't change a thing for the first year of your pastoring. But he said being young and impetuous, he just had to change something. He couldn't do nothing with the deacons. He couldn't do anything with the trustees. He couldn't handle the choir. But there was a, a, a grand piano on the pulpit that he couldn't do nothing with deacons, couldn't do nothing with trustees, he couldn't handle the ushers, but he could pastor that piano. And so he had them to move that big giant grand piano because it was broken. It, it, it hadn't worked and played for years. So he said, I want it downstairs. He couldn't run nothing else but that piano. So they put it downstairs at the pastor's request. And he said several months had passed and people said, well, Pastor Meeber, there's something we can do about it. So several piano companies came and they looked at the piano and they said, we will give you a brand new piano. Give us that one. Then another company said, we will give you a brand new piano plus money for the one you're giving us. So he said, it must be something to this. So he said, after three or four companies had come by, he said he called another company, and they came and looked at the piano, and they were the piano manufacturers. He said two slender white ladies came, and they looked at the floorboard, and they looked at the keys, and they looked under the lid, and they said, sir, do you know what kind of piano this is? He said, yes, it's broken. They said, sir, you know what kind of piano this is? He said, yes, I know. It's, it's, we, we haven't used it in years. It's broken. They said, sir, open the lid of this piano and read the name. And he opened the lid and read the name, and it said Steinway and Son. She, she said, Do you, can you read the name? He said, yes. It says Steinway and Sons. She said, sir, we make only five pianos like that a year. You can't get this piano away. He said, yes, I can. She said, no, no, no. He said, yes, yes, yes. You can't tell me what to do. I'm pastoring this piano. She said, sir, we make five of them a year. It's a Steinway piano. She said, it's broken, but the name gives it value. Somebody in here is broken, but you got a name that's above every name. And that name gives you value.